Next Chapter Podcast. Whoo! Okay, now we're partying. <laughs> oh, God damn, this shit got me so numb. I feel like I'm about to get a root canal. What were we talking about again? Podcasts, 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 right? I should start a podcast. Wait, I have a podcast. Indecent with Kiki Anderson. That's me. I'm Kiki Anderson. Oh, fuck. I gotta start this podcast. Fuck. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't be here right now. Welcome back, everybody. Sorry about all that earlier, it's just that we here at Indecent started the year off with the opposite of dry January, jumping feet first into the topic of drugs with ASU professor Benjamin Fong. Amphetamines, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, these were all widely available. You could pop down to the drugstore and get just about anything you wanted. Funnily enough, uh, methamphetamine inhalers were available over the counter until 1965. This week, we're upping our dose. We're taking a look at how modern culture is changing its relationship to intoxicants. The taboos look a little different. What constitutes as acceptable and even good drug use really depends on who you ask. A lot of the conversation revolves around mental health. People are finally cutting through the haze of misinformation from decades past and acknowledging that those dirty hippies that were rolling around the mud at Woodstock actually look kind of fucking happy. What? Groovy, isn't it? Last year, the FDA got chill AF. They significantly eased up their restrictions on studying the benefits of psychedelics. And that's a good thing, as one UC Irvine neuroscientist told the LA Times, regular old antidepressants are really only super effective in about 30% of patients. That leaves a lot of sad motherfuckers without much to fall back on, literally millions of people. Now I know, eating an ego-shattering amount of acid to heal your trauma might sound like pouring kerosene on a house fire. The word psychedelic was actually first used by a psychiatrist named Humphrey Osmond, and he coined the phrase in a cute little rhyme that went something like this. To fathom hell or go angelic, just take a pinch of psychedelic. Ah, he's like Dr. Seuss for adults. (laughs) However, early studies have shown that MDMA has shown some success in treating PTSD. Mushrooms seem to be helping with depression, and ketamine appears to be a good tool for fighting anxiety. That's why last year Australia became the first country on Earth to authorize the use of all those substances to treat those conditions. But before you tweakers out there get a one-way ticket down under in search of a shady psychiatrist to send you on the bender of a lifetime, we should talk about these changing rules. Aye mate, what's a good word? Portugal is often looked at as Mr. Cool when it comes to drugs. Everyone's all Portugal this, Portugal that, Portugal decriminalized drug consumption in 2001. And you know what, you're right, it was working. For the first 10 years, overdose rates, HIV transmission from needle drugs, and the prison population were all plummeting. And that's mostly because public funds were moved away from the criminal justice system and toward harm reduction. They also encouraged treatment programs rather than requiring them. It's almost like arresting people for all the things is a bad idea. But now, critics are pointing out that overdose rates in Lisbon have hit a 12-year high. Drug use has almost doubled since decriminalization started, and crime increased by 15% back in 2022. Don't go all narky on us, though, okay? It's no coincidence that these problems kicked in right as the Portuguese government began stripping millions of dollars away from the complex support services 
that helped the system succeed in the first place. Just something to think about for places like Portland, Oregon, California, Massachusetts, while they're all mulling over, passing out free nitrous tanks at the public library or whatever it is that they're doing. <laughs> So it might seem that we're getting really hip on all the drugs, but actually it turns out in 2023, we were pretty mid as far as drug laws go, especially when it comes to weed. Only Ohio made recreational weed legal while attempts in Indiana and Oklahoma actually failed. What tarnation is this? And we can't talk about drugs without talking about boozing. Alcohol has been the American intoxicant of choice since before we were even a country. However, recent trends show that we are getting a collective case of anxiety. America's drinking less, if at all. And that's especially true among a group that we tend to stereotype as partiers, you guessed it, college students. Now, I know that I sound very old and wise. However, it was not that long ago that I was in college and we made up super classy slogans like, win or lose, we still booze, blackout or backout, turn up or transfer. Was that everyone's college experience or is Arizona State unwell? Don't answer that. I'll do what? Do what? We gonna do what? Do what? Anyway, a recent study says that nearly 30% of 18 to 20 year old Gen Zers were abstaining from alcohol. That's up almost 10% since 2002. And this isn't just a case of American exceptionalism either. A major academic survey found that youth drinking is actually declining in most high income European countries as well. My children need a wine. From millennials to Gen Z, lots of younger people are exploring the sober curious lifestyle. The sober curious hashtag on TikTok had over 600 million views as of August 2023, and the Stop Drinking Reddit has more than doubled its membership since the pandemic. 2023 saw the lowest level of beer drinking in the US in a whole generation. <sighs> it's not all self-care vibes that are pushing Gen Z away from alcohol though. Some research has shown that the drop in drinking is made up for by a rise in pot use, especially with vapes and edibles making it more palatable to those with little baby bitch lungs. Another major factor is money. As a generation rocked by COVID and ongoing inflation, Gen Z just has less cash flow to spend on everything, including getting fucked up. But as some people explore sobriety, there's a lot of crazy new shit popping off. New synthetic drugs are introducing never before seen levels of potency with sometimes deadly consequences. While ODs from cocaine and heroin have actually dropped by more than half, over 66% of overdose deaths actually involved synthetics. From a business standpoint, the rise of sin drugs makes sense. Old school drugs like weed, heroin, and coke are expensive and high risk to make, and hey, you might get popped off by a local drug dealer. However, fentanyl, well, baby, you can make that for literally a hundred times less than heroin. And meth is not only half as cheap as cocaine, but it also lasts longer. Heck yes. Okay, that might've seen like an ad for meth, which is absolutely not our style. I'm so sorry. We would never, ever, ever endorse anything for free. Anyway, the bottom line is our relationship with inebriants is always in flux. One of the major barriers is a general lack of knowledge in society, both about the drugs themselves and the ways they've been used by the people before us. Today, we'll be tapping into the good, bad, enlightening, and everything in between. Acting as our ganja guide, our stimulant Sherpa, we're excited to have Dominic Milton Trot. Dominic is an author and explorer who has traveled the world investigating psychoactive botanicals and indigenous cultures. He is the author of The Drug User's Bible and The Honest Drug Book, A Chemical and Botanical Journey. And he has, by his own count, ingested nearly 200 types of drugs. 
So, uh, Dom, are you on drugs right now? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. It's a good first question. And it's, uh, it's actually a fixed perception that, that people have of me that I'm always on drugs. And that's just not, not the case. Just sometimes. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question is people probably assume you're like this crazy party animal. How accurate is that? No. Um, you know, I, 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 occasionally I use drugs. That's, that's basically it. Uh, and I, I did write, I used all these 182 different drugs, but uh, I approached it scientifically and had one every two weeks. That's why it took 12 years to write the thing. Um, and I was very sort of scientific about it. Uh, not said I didn't have a great time with most of them, but uh, equally, some of them were horrific and had a terrible experience. Uh, but that's the way it went. It was a, it was an interesting ride. Yeah, no kidding. First of all, I don't think I can name a hundred. I don't. I think I can maybe name twenty drugs, and that's like including some prescription medications. Yeah, it was. Uh, it got harder as the years passed to to identify drugs that people were actually able to use. Uh, when I first started it in about, what, 2012, 2010, you know, it was just everything was new and they were easy, easy to get, not easy to get hold of, but easy to identify and, uh, and easy to plan with. But as time progressed, uh, I had 100, 120, and it just got harder to, you know, well, is there anywhere in the world that, that they are using another this drug or another drug that I've only just discovered. And uh, but in the end, identifying new ones was and, uh, was so hard that I realized that you know, it was probably a good time to call it a day. <laughs> Where's a very, like, maybe you didn't have to travel that far. Maybe it was just like a, a corner of England you didn't know or something. But where is an obscure place you had to travel to try a drug most people haven't heard of? The first, well, it wasn't the first one, but the first, the first one I traveled was really early on. It was uh, Peru uh, for ayahuasca, um, but uh, I went to everywhere. lots in Asia, uh, betel nuts, and actually had mushrooms in uh, Indonesia. Um, obviously, Amsterdam. I went for quite a, a few different different <laughs> drugs, which is local, relatively so everywhere. Really, I even went. To, I even went. To, uh, got really obsessed with this and I went to, went to places like uh, uh, United Arab Emirates to have Arabian coffee because it was a different caffeine. So, you know, I was really sort of in the peak. I was I was just constantly travelling and taking, not <laughs> I nearly said taking drugs, but I did leave this gap of a week or two between different drug experiences so that there was no sort of contamination of, of one drug's experience uh, from another. Right. Well, did you ever, I mean, you're this white guy from the UK walking around the globe being like, hey, do you have this drug? <laughs> like, did you ever have to go through like some challenging uh, obstacles to get to these drugs? It's usually a case of they come to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, did, I did a few hours. I mean, I was in Rishikesh in India and... I was asking around because I wanted to try Banglasi, which is the sort of historical uh, edible milky drink of cannabis. Um, and I had this, I went around the Beatles ashram with a, a camera on my head uh, to, to video these really strange constructs um, from the 60s. 
uh, and I was going around asking people where I could get some cannabis from with a camera filming on my head, and I wondered why I was getting these strange. He's a narc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I sort of realised eventually when I got a lot of funny looks that you know something's something's weird about this, and that's what it was. But usually it's quite easy to you know once you once you're in the proximity proximity in the right place. Um, and they see, uh, they see a, a, a white guy who, who I assume I've got some money and, and I'm up for a drug experience. <laughs> Maybe it's because of the way I look. <laughs> when you were going out and buying these drugs, I mean, I know you said they're, they're pretty easy. They kind of tend to come to you. But were you ever, like, in danger of being arrested? A lot of places I went to were not like here mm. or the US, you know, where, you know, I was far more relaxed about these things. And I think in certain places in Europe, Amsterdam and, you know, India to a degree. I went to India quite a lot for, for different things. Um, uh, and I never felt I was going to be arrested. Uh, I mean, it was the sort of places where I wouldn't have gone and, and uh and bend the rules. <laughs> uh, it, tended, it tended to be places where you would never be able to get hold of the stuff in the first place. Um and I was relatively careful and sometimes I was nervous, you know, because you you don't know for sure. Uh but I, I got to a point where uh this project became really important to me and I was prepared to take some risks to see it through to the end you know i put 10 years into efforts into this thing and you know i'd I'd still got some drugs to do and there was you know to travel anywhere to actually do it and and take a certain degree of risk to to complete it and finish finish the project because there was a lot of me in it and it was really important to me to actually to actually complete it and make it all uh, so I think it probably did take some risk, but I never felt like I was on the verge of being arrested anywhere. Uh, but I still, whenever I go somewhere, I always notice police everywhere. <laughs> whenever there's a police officer anywhere, I'll be the first to, to spot her because you sort of get tuned into, um, you know, I'm, I, I always had or was in the proximity of drugs or often had drugs on me. So you tend to sort of have this awareness of police presence or activity. Um, so, but I never felt. And if all else fails, you tell them, officer, it's for science. I'm writing a book. One of the reasons that I, I do not have drugs in this house is because it's like having a sort of target <laughs> on me, on my head. You know, Dominic Montrop lives there. He's written this book. He's had 180 drugs. That's going to raise his house. Well, you know, welcome, guys. <laughs> so, do you do your um, friends just come to the, you all the time? Like, oh, I'm going to try ayahuasca. Like, are you the guy? You're the friend. Well, I get a lot of people online asking me to, <laughs> to get them drugs or to give them drugs. You know, just assume somehow that you know that's why I don't know, you know, and I don't know where to get them because you know I, this was when I was traveling and I, I did the research that you're going to have to do to find a current vendor of drugs. Um, you know, I can't help you. I don't know anymore. And uh, you know, if I needed to get a drug, I'd be able to find it. Uh, through working and researching and looking, uh, but you know, I've my head. I don't know how to use those drugs, and uh, I don't have any. But you'd be surprised how many people assume that I'm the go-to for drugs. 
Uh, it's, it happens, you know, I get more questions asking me for drugs <laughs> than anything else. And I get a lot of questions online. Uh, but that's number one. Can you get me or have you got any? Uh, and unfortunately, so I'm sorry, no. Um, I don't have any. Yeah, these are just the instructions, not the distributors. Yeah, so when you were, like, prepping to do these experiments, like, first of all, were you testing the drugs to make sure they didn't have, like, fentanyl in them? And did you have, like, a babysitter? Yeah, I, I did uh, the testing every single time. Um, and uh, usually via a lab, if I was here. All the drugs I did here, I sent to a laboratory to have tested, you know, because that's the safest, you know, the most sure way of being. If I was traveling, I would have, have test kits with me. Um, I'll try them out. I mean, a lot of drugs don't need to do a lot of botanicals are a plant. And you know it's a plant, and you can recognise it as you know, it was cannabis. You know, right. you know what it looks like. Uh, so, so uh, but uh, yeah, I tested everything. I didn't always have a sitter, and I should have done. Uh, but it's it's really difficult then to to uh, you know when when I'm in a, a scenario around here where nobody uses drugs, they all use alcohol or prescription medi medicines, and they don't tell anybody. It's that sort of place. Uh, to actually have somebody to sit with you while I I'm off my head on on mescaline or whatever it is, um, I tended to have somebody online that I know, uh, you know, like now I'd say, "Well, you just stay there and watch <laughs> me have this uh, psychedelic, and uh, if anything goes wrong, call this number." So I'd, I'd do a bit of it online. Uh, sometimes I couldn't do that. Uh, but usually I tried to. So, yeah, I tended to practice. As I went through it and I developed the Ten Commandments, I, I did use them. Early on, where I hadn't properly developed them, I didn't always use them because they didn't exist and I just had this rough. And it was as I started doing about 10 or 20 or 30 that I started, I really should have a, a set of rules. And that's where the Ten Commandments came from. Uh, and uh, I perfected them as I went along uh, so that I could actually um, keep myself safe. And the whole thing was that when, if I was doing this and having this drug for the first time or having drugs for the first time, what would I want? And that's what I put in the book. What would I want? What would I need to keep me safe? Um, and this is one of the reasons that, that it took three three versions. The first version was... Had 140 and then 156, and, and then the final version is the final version, 182. And it's partly because I was just finally getting hold of these last drugs, uh, but partly because I was continually improving it in terms of reading it so many times. What would I want? Now, if I had heroin again, you know, I've already put what I learned. Is there anything else that I could put in there that would help? And that, that eventually I've I've sort of perfected it to be a final version. But, uh, you know, right at the start, it was very sketchy what I was doing because I didn't have the uh, the generic information uh, and I really didn't do enough research on the earlier drugs. What is the most messed up you've been? Like, oh, my God, that was a crazy or terrifying experience. Oh, it, it, without doubt. And, and this is this is a strange one. I mean, there were a few like that, you know, more than more than ten. <laughs> I'd say around ten there was really horrific, traumatic. I just wouldn't put my worst enemy worst enemy through. Uh, the, the 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 worst one was nutmeg, which is the sort of spice that you put on food. 
Um, I thought you were going to say black tar heroin. <laughs> Nutmeg? No. Uh, I didn't have a great experience on heroin, to be honest, either. But, but nutmeg is a deliriant. It's not a psychedelic. And it created a dysphoric, dizzy, painful. I couldn't stand up. I was crawling. And it seemed that my hands were sort of stuck in glow. I was ill for a week because um, I didn't really know what nutmeg was at the time. I just thought it'd be okay. Uh, I learned as I went along. <laughs> um, and this was a f- quite a few years ago. And uh, it was uh, delirium is not where you want to be. It's, it's a state close to death. Um, and uh, it frightened me of drugs for, for years, um, that, that particular experience. But uh, So that was the worst. Uh, but I had quite a few other. I had one of the artificial cannabinoids was... Uh, a state of paranoid anxiety is probably the best way of describing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to go to bed and lie down in fetal position, um, and that was a sort of that sort of experience was a motivator to, to complete the book and do a good job on it because I realised at that point I'd had a lot of drugs that this is going to end. Just hang on. Now, if I was a kid and it was my first drug experience, I'd be in a place where I was wondering, is, is this ever going to end? Have I permanently changed my psyche? Am I damaged? Uh, I've got brain damage. Um, and I sort of realised that, you know, they do need this information. Uh, so uh, carry on with this, despite the, the bad experiences. So so that was pretty pretty awful experiences, but there were, there were a few, and it was it's largely when I had significantly more than, uh, than I should have done as, as a dose. Right at the beginning, when I was planning to do this, I realised that to, to actually make a good job of it and, and make it, you know, real, I had to have a, a good dose of each drug. It's no good having a trivial dose and not having a threshold dose. Uh, if I was going to actually write about a drug or 182 different drugs, uh, had to have the, the full Monty, the full experience. So I never went, unless I, unless I was in a, a difficult situation, I, I tended to go pretty high uh, so that I could report on, you know, this is what it's likely to be like if you have the, the normal dose or more rather than the sort of really tiny dose because I'm chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried not to do that. You're like a modern Hunter S. Thompson. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it became a sort of, uh it was it was like an adventure it was you know in itself it became a sort of challenge uh personal challenge and and there was that aspect of it that made it fun as well that what's this going to be like and i wonder what that was going to be like and uh so there was an element of uh, discovery there which sort of uh helped make it uh more fun Now, not everyone has the same amount of testicular fortitude as Dominic when it comes to staring down the barrel of a burning crack pipe. And honestly, not everyone should. I know some of you out there are plenty fucked in the head when you're stone cold sober, let alone turned up on Darturo root and banana peels. But because we had so much fun last time sharing people's stories of being too high, we thought, fuck it, why not? Take a few more hits and see what happens. So my name's Jack. The first time I ever went to school high, smoked a blunt with uh, my friends and I, and I think it might have been laced or something because I got it from a homeless guy in Tampa. And it's the last day of eighth grade, like our big like middle school graduation in Tampa, Florida. And I go 
to school and I'm late as hell so I join in like second period which is like one period before lunch and I walk into the class and one of the kids I was smoking with was getting wheeled out in a wheelchair by the nurse because <laughs> he was too high and he's smiling and completely non-verbal the whole time it was so spooky that I started getting like really anxious and having a panic attack about it because I was like what's wrong with this week something was like up I go to lunch the next period I'm standing in line waiting to go into the cafeteria and I just start puking like neon green vomit all over like it hit several people like it was really gross of course the nurse comes or whatever and then my favorite teacher who was like this older like military guy walks me to the nurse's office and the whole time i'm like stumbling and i i'm forgetting he's asking me questions and forgetting what he's asking and it's like my favorite teacher so i'm like oh he's judging me i get to the nurse's office and uh she was like you can just like take a nap i'm gonna call your mom i slept until the end of school and didn't wake up until my mom was standing over me because they couldn't wake me up in the <laughs> nurse's office. And then like 10 years later, I bumped into that teacher who walked, my favorite teacher, I bumped into him at a McDonald's and I was higher than I had been in years. And he just thinks that's who I am. <laughs> I'm Noah. And one time I was given an edible that was too large for me. And generally any edible is too large for me. I don't think I've had a good experience with an edible. And I had some friends in town and I took the edible and they said, today we're going to the American Indian Museum. And I uh, was high out of my mind at the American Indian Museum. That's the last place you want to be high because you're looking at the Trail of Tears and you're like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. Get me out of here, this is really sad. So I like to take weed gummies whenever I travel, um, you know, because that helps you deal with the stress of traveling, et cetera, et cetera. So I was flying to Dubai, right? Um, and I got bumped from my flight, my layover in Newark. So I took a weed gummy to fall asleep on the ground, um, took a few bad boys. I was like, this will be easy, you know, sleep it out, save some money. Anyway, I got woken up at 1.30 in the morning by security and they told me I have to leave. So I'm like trying to leave, super tired, I'm really high, I'm like disoriented, I'm looking at my phone, I'm like, oh, there's a Holiday Inn close by. So I leave the facility, there's a cab driver right there. I get in the cab and I'm like, hey, can you take me five minutes down the street to the Holiday Inn? So we're driving away. He's like, all right, it's gonna be $50. I'm like, I'm not paying you $50 to take me five minutes down the street. And he's like, you know, like, all right, fine. You don't have to pay if you have sex with me. I'm like, bro, the fuck? Like, I'm not gonna have sex with you. I'm not gonna have sex with you. Like, no, turn around, pull over. Just let me out. Let me out of this situation. Just like, get me out. No. And um, he's like, all right, I'll tell you what. I'll pay for half the hotel if you have sex with me. I'm like, still, no, please just drop me off anywhere. Please drop me off anywhere. Anyway, he drops me off at this, you know, um, this sketchy sex motel. I end up getting where I'm staying the night and leaving in the morning. But um, I don't know, like that story, I always leave the fact that I was high out of that story because people are always ready to like victim blame me. They already are without me even acknowledging that I was high. They're always like, well, why didn't you call the cops? Why didn't you report it? Why didn't you do this? And... I responded, and the reason I didn't do any of those things is because I was high, but then I, like, I've been responding to these people saying, what if he had a weapon, you know? What if he actually did kidnap me? And then it kind of puts them in their place. So me actually not calling the cops because I was high could have actually saved my life. So that's some food for thought. Hey, I'm B, and uh, one time I ended up trying Molly in Santorini. This is how it happened. I was at a nightclub in Santorini in a very, very fancy schwank sort of place with my newly uh, wedded wife. And we were there and this very big Greek guy came up to me and he said, hey, you are related to Barack Obama, aren't you? And I looked at him and I was like, I don't 
no enough Greek to tell you otherwise, so I just said, yes, we can. And then he's like, you should be with me, Obama and VIP. So then we got the Greek, like the whole velvet rope pulled back, went up to the top of this uh, amazing nightclub. Great music is playing that I didn't understand at all. And then out of nowhere, he pulled out a tiny little pill. And I was like, what is that? Is that like a famotidine for your tummy if it gets too bubbly? And he was like, no, it is Molly, Obama. Do you want it? And I was like, okay. Because why not? You got a Yankee Doodle Dandy and represent for the US of A sometimes. So I take this Molly, I pop it, I start sweating. I had a great time. It was easily one of the coolest moments of my entire life. Then fast forward, after eating an insane amount of suvaki, which is basically street meat, and drinking a lot of bubbles, I ended up going back to the hotel with my lady. And then we were both giggling, having a great time. And that's when it hit me. I had food poisoning, but I didn't know it in that moment. I thought I was just poisoned. So I was like, oh, babe, avenge me, please. And she's like, babe, you just had food poisoning. Go to the bathroom and handle it. And I said, okay. And then I went to the bathroom and they don't have normal bathrooms in Europe because this is how they roll. They got a thing called a bidet. That blew my mind, never tried it. Engineering behind those things is very incredible. First time I tried it, bullseye. I was shocked. I mean, what are you, Chef Curry with the pass? A no-look pass right to my ass? Get out of here. Producer Pete here, back again with one more for you. So the first time I ever tried mushrooms was my freshman year of college. I went to a commuter school where everybody used to leave on the weekends, except for me and a handful of other people, one of whom had some drugs. So I take them and turns out there was something very wrong with these mushrooms because as I learned from people who lived on the hall from me later on, I was completely out of it. I started trashing my room. These guys had never witnessed anybody on drugs before, so they called the RA. The RA was drunk and didn't want to deal with me, so we called the paramedics. And I'm a small guy, but they said this six foot tall firefighter came in, tried to restrain me. I picked him up by the collar and belt buckle and threw him out of the room. That's when they brought in the cops, and then I start to come to as I am strapped to a gurney and they are punching me in the face, telling me if I don't stop fighting, they're gonna fuck me up some more. I'm phasing in and out of consciousness. At one point I come back and a nurse is waving a catheter in my face saying, if you piss your pants again, I'm gonna stick one of these up your dick hole. Anyway, I come to fully the next day. My face is a mess. I had an eyebrow ring at the time. They just beat the crap out of it. It was just a twisted piece of metal in my head. And what I found out later is that another person who had taken these same mushrooms had jumped out of the 10th story of a building. See, that's why some of you can't be left unsupervised. So let's go back to Dominic, someone who really knows how to bear down through a bad trip. Do you have a favorite drug? Uh, I like LSD. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I like a drink called Carver Carver, which is a sort of relaxing drink instead of alcohol. Um, and I like a dissociative called Ephenidine at low doses uh, because I just think that's really weird and relaxing. So there's a few drugs I like, um, and I do like some stimulants as well. But I mean, it's I think it's situational. I think uh, it depends where I am, what I'm doing, who I'm with. Um, will determine what drug I'm attracted to, and uh, you know I think it's 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 really down to that. And 
as I said earlier, I'm not. It's not that I'm drugged up all the time because it's it's a rare indulgence, but uh, sometimes I am, and uh, and I will choose uh, one of my drugs of choice, and they're probably my favourite drug. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I've tried not as many as you, but I've tried a lot of drugs. And one thing that I've learned about myself over time is that I need one dot of a drug. And I like my body is impacted very quickly by any kind of some substance, whether that's alcohol, whether that's weed. Uh, My aunt and I did DMT together and I went through it. (laughs) You know, like I that was a rough time for me. Like, what do you think about that? Are there some people that, like, maybe fall into paranoia faster than other people? You know, without a question. Uh, and, you know, I've, at the front of the book, I've got the, the, the Ten Commandments of, uh, of say, for drug use. And I think one of the things I stress there in one of them is you can always take more, but you can't take mm-hmm. less. And you're not in a rush, you know. And, you know and kids say, oh, I want to try this. And, you know, you've got the entire life in front of you. You know, wait. And when you're old enough, try try whatever you want, but start low, uh, because you otherwise. I mean, those nightmares I was talking about earlier, um, they were because I, started, I took too much. I started high, and I, I, I excuse that, but I say I was writing the book, and I had to take a good good dose of each. Uh, but some of the thing was stupid. I mean, you know, it's taking the dose of. Heroin that I took for the first time years was just stupid. Uh, you know, I might have enjoyed it more had I had a smaller amount. Uh, so yeah, definitely people are are more susceptible to certain drugs than others, um, and uh, that's why the general rule is always start low, start low, and just see if it's for you. Um, you know, see if you are particularly susceptible to it because if you are, you won't know until you try it. Right. Uh, so always have the low dose, and and if you like it, then you've got plenty of time to come back in in the future and try higher dose. With these, you know, scarier experiences, did you ever think you were dying? Like especially on heroin, where you're like, oh, this is it, I'm done. Non heroin, because some of these drugs you. They make you think, oh, so, well. <laughs> you know, I'm dying, you know. Uh, heroin's one of those because it, it sort of, you know, it takes the rough edges off the world. <laughs> and, you know, a rough edge might be that you're dying. <laughs> so, uh, but sometimes that's not the case. There's a drug that kids used to take in, over in America, Salvia Divina. Oh, yeah, that was popular when I was growing uh, up. Yeah, I mean, that's just an absolute nightmare. <laughs> and uh, I have that. I thought it was a cannabinoid when I had it because uh, it was in the same sort of coloured package. Um, and, and then I thought it was dying, and, and that doesn't take the rough edges off. Uh, and I, I had it here because it was legal. Um, and I went outside because I'd smoked it. And I, and I just remember taking two steps in the, in, into the kitchen expecting to be, you know, this cannabis-like experience, and Kansas went bye-bye. It was just... Oh my God, what's happening to me? And it was not in a nice oh way. God. You sort of feel like you're being sucked out of this sort of, you know, out of your skull in some way. Just, your soul's being sucked out, and there's this non benign entity there pulling in. And I was sucked, again, collapsed on my hands and knees, crawling back to this computer. What the hell is something in your dollar? Trying looking at the screen, and it sort of disappearing into the abyss. And I was. You know, the first thing that crossed my mind was, you know, have I got permanent brain damage? 
am I going to get back to normal ever, or is this it? Uh, in which case I'm going to be a dysfunctional vegetable, really. Uh, and the second thought was, you know, obviously, am I going to die? Uh, and I don't want to die. And I was sort of then promising myself, I'll never do anything like this again if I just get after this alive. <laughs> You know, and I meant it at the time. So were you thinking this book so, was a bad idea? Well, I, I, it wasn't that sophisticated. <laughs> it was very, if I survive, I will never touch another <laughs> drug. And I was sort of trying to make a deal with this entity that was sucking my soul out of my body into this this sort of uh, dysphoric abyss. Um, and then eventually it started coming back a bit to normality. And I was thinking, oh, God, I'm going to live and live. <laughs> And then I'm going around thinking, is everything still all right? Because uh, I, I sort of had this impression that there's about 10 stories in this house and I've come back into this different reality, uh, this uh, sort of crossed the multiverse somewhere else. And I'm having all these weird thoughts thinking that, uh, you know, what's happened to me and I've really done it this time. Uh, so that's not a great place to be uh, at all. Fortunately, so yeah, with some of these experiences, uh, I did think I was going to die. Uh, not me. So, I mean, these drugs that you're saying you had this like terrible experience on, I mean, would you still apply the same ideology to them? All drugs should be available or should people not be able to get that drug? Like, should, should they try to eradicate that? No, they should, they should be able to get it. Um, and most of the drugs that were, were, were terrible were lack of education for me. Uh, you know, the uh, the salvia divinorum, I didn't know what it was. It was really early on when I was starting to do these different drugs for the book that uh, I was quite, you know, I had very little knowledge and I didn't know what was coming. And that was a mistake. It should have been researched. Um, and the point of documenting the, the mistakes was so that others can learn from it. The prescription drugs, far too high a dose. Uh, because I had complacency, don't do this. It's there, so yeah, this should be legal. Just because I made a complete mess of it, uh, is no reason to to actually ban it. It should be legal, and people should be taught and and uh, educated in terms of how to use it. So, would you say everyone should try drugs? No, no. Um, I think it's personal choice. I think everyone should have the right to try drugs. I think all drugs should be legal. Um, if you're going to legalise drugs anyway, or, or, or one or two or three of them, you know, hell, you know, nicotine, alcohol, seriously. Um, so, you know, I think all drugs should be legal and people should be educated. I think that's the, the, the best way forward to reduce addiction and death. Do you think they should be available at, like, your local pharmacy? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, alcohol's available in every corner. Right. Uh, and uh, I don't know about uh, the US, but uh, nicotine's available in every supermarket. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, they should be available freely at, uh, not freely paid for, obviously, but should be, certainly be available in pharmacies uh, with, uh, I mean, if, if they were available, and this was one of the points of the book that, uh, They'd be sold like any other medication with instructions. You know, here is how to take them. Here's the dose. You know, don't have the have this drug with that drug, etc., uh, etc. Et and that's what's lacking with with drugs because they're illegal. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wrote the book to do what government should be doing, society should be doing, 
with basically informing people who are taking drugs and buying them uh, on the streets. Uh, now, if if they were provided through pharmacies, one would hope that pharmacies would provide the same sort of information that the Drug Users Bible provides. Yeah, I don't know that that gives me pause. You know, I have a lot of addiction in my family, and I, I agree with what you're saying about alcohol. I mean, you can go buy a handle of vodka right now at the grocery store. You can drink the whole thing if you want to, and then you can go get in a car, and nobody's going to stop you. But you hear horror mm-hmm. stories of like people that took PCP and then murdered their parents like that. That scares me. The idea of having that available at a store. Well, people take alcohol and murder people because they're drunk right. all the time, you know. Um, and, and again, it's not PCP. I mean, would there be much demand for that if the drugs were available? I mean, half the time, and we have this in this country, we have this problem with spice, which was basically uh, um, the story goes that cannabis was illegal here, still is. Uh, so, and uh, cannabinoid called JWH018 was invented, synthesized, which was a bit like cannabis, and it was called spice. Mm. That's where the word spice comes from. Uh, It was a brand that they gave it. So that got made illegal. Uh, So another chemical was invented, which was further removed from from real cannabis and more toxic. That got made illegal. And so it went on and on, and you ended up with a variant of spice, which was... Uh, so strong and toxic that people were zombies in the streets of of every major city in this country uh, and overdosing. And that was legislation forcing people down a path uh, which was a disaster for their health and safety. And the same applies to other classes of drugs. So if all drugs were legal, you know, some of these really strong not really rewarding in terms of the experience drugs like a strong cannabinoid or, or PCP will be will be less attractive. People will go and have amphetamine, say, instead, uh, and uh, which is safer. I mean, it's not a great idea, but it's a lot safer, and they make better choices. And again, even with the strongest drugs, as it stands, they're relatively easy to get hold of, uh, and basically anywhere, but. People who get hold of them are, are, are getting hold of them without any information, with going in blind and making getting addicted, overdosing, because there is no nobody guiding them, nothing they're guiding them. It's not me who should be doing this. It's, it's society mm. should be providing clean access to clean drugs with education. And, uh, and I think that's a far better route for, for society than the one we're in. We're actually in the middle of it at the moment. Two hundred drugs later, do you do you think you're different, and how? I I am different, um, and I think it's not the it's not the heroines and the crystal meths and and, and the cocaines that have, have changed me. It's the psychedelics, and and some of this is because I'm now old. Uh, some of it is because of the psychedelics creating different perspectives from within. Um, one of the things that psychedelics do is they give you alternative perspectives from outside your normal sort of narrative. I've changed because I tend to take higher perspectives of issues and things and, and hold my place in life less tightly than I did do or would have done. You know, I'm more sort of philosophical 
And people get more philosophical as they get older, that's true, but I think I'm more philosophical than, than I would have, would have been um, had I not had the psychedelics and the dissociatives. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for opening our third eyes a little, Dominic. I know you guys can't see him, but this conversation is really not exactly what you would expect from a mild-mannered suburban Brit with a ponytail and glasses. Goes to show, you can never tell what someone's on just by looking at them. But you know, despite all the mind-bending little goodies we've touched on these past two episodes, there is still one substance we haven't dared to discuss. <sighs> True romance. Love is a hell of a drug, is it not? We are going back to our horny roots, you guys. With Valentine's Day right around the corner, we've invited the legendary advice columnist, Dan Savage, to join us next time to talk about the nightmare that is modern dating. There's just a lot of Mr. Darcy from women, like wish casting about what they hoped men would be as opposed to what men are, which is testosterone-soaked dick monsters that need to come all the time. New episodes come out every other Friday. Giving us a rating and a review is a huge help and make sure other people can find the show. Indecent is a production of Next Chapter Podcast. Go to ncpodcast.com to learn more. If you have something you want us to talk about, a guest you want to recommend, or you just want to send us a drug-induced rant, I suppose you can do that. Shoot us an email at indecentthepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at indecentkiki. And of course, follow me at It's Kiki Anderson and my producers, Max Wolfson and Pete Musto and our executive producer, Jamai Tittle. I'm Kiki Anderson and this has been Indecent, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s, and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three-times-a-week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Next Chapter Podcasts.